Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Good morning, everyone. Am I up and running? Yes, I can hear it. I have to add my bitters granny. <laughs> you know what's incredible about today? There are four generations here. There's a great granny who served Jesus for over 50 years. A granny who served Jesus for over 40 years. A son and a daughter who have served Jesus for over 20 years. And baby Olivia. Only him. Only him. What a privilege. What an incredible, incredible privilege. So it's so good. I'm excited. Oh, and there's a great uncle. <laughs> and all of those. <laughs> and family of God, who will help us to raise, help them to raise this child. So last week, I don't know what number we're on. Levi did this really cool slide for me. So maybe we can put it on Facebook and you can go and look at it afterwards. I also had a really cool map for you. Never mind. <laughs> so what did we do last week? What did we do last week? Samuel. Okay. Now, when we did Samuel from the book 1 Samuel, we were about earlier than 1000 BC. It's amazing to think that, hey? We're now moving to about 840 BC. A heck of a lot has happened from Samuel to where I'm going to preach today. A new king, Israel's got a king called Saul. He's handed down to David. He's handed down to Solomon. Solomon handed to Rehoboam. The problem in, with Rehoboam is he was full of himself, thought he was the most best thing that God had given to Israel, and he actually ended up losing 10 tribes of Israel. There are 12 tribes. He lost 10 of them, and, and Jeroboam started ruling the kingdom of Israel, or Samaria, or as it is called. Under, Re under Rehoboam was just the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. So we split. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Kings come and go all the way through, and you must, you must go and read all about it. But essentially I could say that the Israelite kings, the northern kingdom, by and large, did not follow Yahweh. They followed all sorts of other gods. They put up Azure poles. They worshipped Baal, Baal. They did all sorts of things. Generally speaking, and I'm generalizing, the kings of Judah followed Yahweh, that one true God. But we're in Israel. We're in that top kingdom. And as a result of them not following God, God was disciplining them. And one of the things he was using was the kingdom of Syria, also called Aram, which is above northern Israel. And he started, he will read, he started using Syria to raid into Israel, to take slaves, to destroy cities. Why? Because he's saying, people, hello, I am the Lord your God. Give up your other gods and worship me. That's where we are. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm reading from the ESV. I hope you got your Bibles. I hope you got your notepads. 
2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, now you know where we're talking, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Please notice that. Not because of him. Because by him the Lord had given, to, given victory to Syria. God can use Anyone, anyone, any leader of the world, anyone to do his will. He was a mighty man of valor, and he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids down into Israel, had carried off a little girl. That word little girl means she was probably between, she was under the age of 13, 10, 11, 12, little girl, from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, northern Israel. He would cure him of, of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, the king, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. Guys, oodles of money. Stacks. Not just a little bit. Lots and lots and lots of money. And he bought, the, he bought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and his money and stood at the door of Elisha's house. I've arrived. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand, and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away, and went away in a rage. But his servants came here, and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has, was, has spoken to you, Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. One more verse. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. There he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Yeah, what a word. Lord God, thank you for your word. 
Thank you, Jesus and Holy Spirit, that you have written this, that we might today learn how to be more like you. Jesus, I pray that your spirit will convict each one of us where you need to convict us. I pray, Lord God, for myself, for every person gathered here, for everyone who listens to this recording, Lord God, that we will soften our hearts and allow you to speak. In your precious and holy name, amen. So I've entitled this message, The Commander and the Slave. So we have the commander. Naaman was, a, as we read, a great general, absolutely powerful, lots of money, and he was having victory. He was going marauding into Israel, down into Israel, and capturing slaves, killing people, destroying cities. And he thought, yo, I am so good. He was totally self-sufficient. He did not even think remotely that it was actually God who was enabling him to do this because God wanted to discipline Israel. It wasn't even vaguely in his mind. He was well connected. He knew the king of Syria. And because he knew the king of Syria, he got to meet the king of Israel. And as we've already said, he had loads of money. But there was a big but. He was a leper. And a leper meant that constricted what he could do, who he could meet with, etc., etc. It was a serious defect. And isn't that how we it is for us today, for many of us. We can have so much going for us, and then some problem comes. We can lose our job. We can lose our money. We can lose our health. We can lose a relationship. So everything's so good, but... And even if physically, outside of ourselves, everything's going on, and we put on this jolly face, and we're, how are you today? I'm fine, and how are you? But inside, we're wrecked with depression. Or inside, we've got resentment. Or secretly, we're battling with an addiction. Or we just feel overwhelmed, and I just can't live. How do I go on in this life? We have a but inside of us. So what does, Na what does Naaman do with this but? I've got power. I've got money. I've got connections. And I'm going to go to this king, and I'm going to demand and pay for my healing. Because look who I am. I need healing. So he goes to the king of Israel. And he says, well, you know what? Just like in my land, Syria, we hire prophets. That's what we do. We hire prophets, and we tell the prophets what the deity must do. We twist the arm of the deity to do what I need to be done. So king of Israel, you, you must heal me. The king of Israel hears this and he tears his clothes. Yeah, he's not worshiping God as he ought, but he knows this is the transcendent God. I can't just tell him what to do. I can't twist his arm to do the things that I want. I am powerless in the hands of the living God. He is distraught. 
Elisha hears of this, an obscure, not in court, he's, a, he's far away, so, you know, he's the prophet of God, but we don't really want the prophet of God, we want to do what we want to do. But the prophet of God hears of this, and he says, send him to me. Why? Because Elisha knew that God, and only God, could heal Naaman. Only God and nobody else. So Naaman's quite happy, cool, king, you can't do it, and you're sending me to your prophet. So he arrives in his pomp and his ceremony, and he stands at the door. You can just imagine everyone standing there, and he's waiting. And Elisha doesn't even come out. Maybe he was busy. No, 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 I don't think he was busy. I think he knew. This is a very proud man. This is a man who thinks he's above others because he's got power. He's got money. He's got the name. And this man needs to be humbled. So he sends a messenger. And he says, go dip. Go and dip in the Jordan seven times. And you will be clean. And Naaman's like, what? He expected Elijah to come out. Oh, I am the man of God. Oh, God, heal this mighty man. You, God, because you see this man, he's done so much for you. He's so powerful. He's so, heal him. That's what, that's what Naaman expected. And it doesn't happen. He was proud. So let's look at pride. The devil is proud. Many references to it. But if you look at 1 Timothy, you write this down, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. It's actually where Paul is speaking to Timothy and telling him the credentials for an elder. And he says an elder mustn't be somebody who's just saved because then he will become conceited. He will become proud, which is the condemnation of the devil. The devil is proud. Sin follows a progression. First, we don't believe. Then we become proud. And then we become disobedient. We don't believe. We become proud. And we become disobedient. It starts way back in the Garden of Eden. When the devil came to Eve, he said, no, 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 no. You won't die. Mm -mm. Don't believe God. You won't die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, if you eat of the tree of knowledge and good of, of good and evil, you will become like God. He's appealing to her sense of, you want to be like God. You know, be proud. Roll on to when Jesus is tempted by the devil in the New Testament. One of the temptations is that the devil takes him up to the top, to a pinnacle in the temple, and says, throw yourself down because the angels will catch you. In other words, throw yourself down, the angels will catch you, and everyone will say, wow, this must be such a mighty man. Even the angels catch him. He's appealing to the temptation of pride. We all have pride. How do you know if you've got pride? Because you want to stand out amongst others. 
You want to be the prettiest or the strongest or the cleverest. And so people can become in that area where you see your, you know, you're the best, just saying. You see others as rivals. I've seen that so in my life in preaching. I want to be the best. And so when others preach, they become rivals. And I don't want them to do so well. Because I am the best. Thankfully, I'm growing in that. But I look back when I first started preaching, and it's, it's shameful. And I say to you with shame, with no pride whatsoever. Thank God God reminded me of this when I was preparing this. Lainey, you're proud, and you still tend to that. Now my desire, more and more, is to see others flourished. To see them get better and better, far better than me. Lord, help me to equip wherever I can. Where are you proud? Where do you see? Where are you so self-centered? It's about my feelings. It's about my goals. And you know what's even scarier for me is that the world applauds pride. They call it ambition. And we applaud it and we push it. And if you don't have it, and I'm not saying ambition is wrong, but when we take ambition to the, to the level where we just push down everybody else and puff ourselves up, we are being proud. And the world says, well done. And you Christian, stop being so humble. Stop being so iffy. You're just like a doormat. And guys, hear me. I'm not saying we shouldn't have goals but they'd have to be in God. And parents, how are you doing in teaching your child not to be proud? Yo, I won the race today. I am so good. And I beat, I beat, I beat, I beat, I beat, I beat, I beat. Well done, my love. Did you run the best of your ability? Not who did you beat. Home with the test, I came first, I got 88%. Oh, my love, I'm not interested where you came. Did you do your best? Because you know what? That brain, you did nothing for it. It's a God-given gift. Are we raising our children to learn about pride? <laughs> We're not made to play God. We're not made to play God. We are made to worship him, to love him, and to serve him gladly and freely. I want to say that again. We are not made to play God. We are made to serve him, to love him, to worship him gladly and freely. Elisha knew that Naaman had no power. The only power he had was what God had given him. Elisha knew that Naaman not only needed physical healing, he needed spiritual healing. He needed to humble himself. 
Naaman, the proud man. What is pride? The slave. How did Naaman, how did this whole story start? And it started with a little servant girl. A little servant girl in the house of Naaman. This little servant girl, why was she in the house of Naaman? In a foreign country. She lost her home. She lost her family. She was all by herself. And as I said, she was probably about 10, 11, 12. She was a little girl. She'd been captured on one of Naaman's raids into Israel, and she was working in the house. This little girl, and you, you know we don't even, God doesn't even tell us her name. He doesn't even tell us her name. And we want, you know, I am Lainey, I need to be known. He doesn't even tell us her name. But she has the courage to speak up. To speak up. In this foreign land, in a foreign home, all her, any privilege she's had, taken away. She has the courage to speak up. She could have, I'm sure you all agree with me, this is just not fair. Where are you, God? Can you see where I am? And this dude, he thinks he's the big mighty warrior. I'm not telling him anything. Mm -mm. I'm going to sit in my bitterness and I'm just going to mope. And God, where are you anyway? But she doesn't. She doesn't. In that bad, hard place, she reacts with incredible grace. Incredible grace. And she believes that the, her prophet that she knows of, the prophet Elisha, in her homeland, could and would heal Naaman. And that's what starts Naaman's journey. So now he's standing outside Elisha's house, and he's like, oh, you know, really? I could do much better. And he's not even talking to me. Who does he think he is? And I want to read verse 13 for you from the New King James Version. It's just nicer there. Because he's going away. And it says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, great respect, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? And Naaman chooses to humble himself. He chooses, he listens. He chooses to go to the Jordan River and dip himself seven times. And he comes up snow white. Naaman didn't do anything great. He didn't do any wow thing. He didn't travel to Jerusalem. He, didn't do, he just did what the prophet told him to do. Because if he had done something great, he would have been able to say, well, I did this and this and this, so you owe me. Who can dip in the Jordan? A child can dip in the Jordan. A mother can dip in the Jordan. 
A murderer can dip in the Jordan. An addict can dip in the Jordan. A CEO of a company can dip in the Jordan. An elder can dip in the Jordan. It's nothing special. It's obeying the word of God. And as that last verse, he did not just receive his physical healing, which was amazing. He met the one true God. Because that last verse, I'll read it again. Then he returned to the man of God, to Elisha, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. He was healed physically. He was healed spiritually because he chose to humble himself before the mighty hand of God. I really, as I said, it's sad. I've got five things I want to challenge us with. One's quite long, but I really would like you to write them down. Because I, I, with all my heart, I believe God wants to speak to every single one of us here and on at least one of these issues. And then when we break bread, what I want you to do is to look at that list and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Where do you want me to humble myself? So I'll go slowly. And if, I, you know, if you need me to repeat, yell. So the first one. When that but, remember but he was a leper? The but in your life, maybe it's current, maybe it's still to come. I don't know. You know. You know exactly that but. Were you not trusting God for that but? You're trusting the world and the world's solutions. Naaman trusted in his money and his power and his, his renown. And he had to learn to trust the one true God. There's so much that we can do and we're expected to do. God's given us brains. God's given us strength. He's given us so many things and we are expected to do stuff. But there comes a point where we have to say, I can't do this. You are in control, Holy Father. You are Yahweh. You are God. And I give it to you. Where, what are you doing with your butt? Secondly, I just put in there, sorry, on the butt, are we prepared, here's the question, are we prepared to take Christ on his terms not ours. Are we prepared to take Christ on his terms, not ours? The second one, a little suffering girl unwillingly thrust into a strange environment chooses to give grace. An unwilling servant girl thrust into an unknown place 
chooses to give grace. We have a suffering servant willingly places himself outside of his realm and gives us grace. Jesus Christ. None of this makes sense to you if you do not know Jesus. None of this makes any sense unless you have bowed your knee There is nothing you can do to gain the approval of God. Nothing. You can't work harder. You can't pray more. You can't read your Bible more. You can't go to church more. Nothing. Only. Salvation is only by his grace. Belief in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I ask each one of you very seriously, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted This suffering servant who willingly gave himself for me. Thirdly, we saw the the progress that Naaman went along, and he had to humble himself several times. It took a while to get the message into his head. He listened to the little servant girl. He willingly went, he went to the king of Syria, he went to the king of Israel, he went to Elisha. He was learning to humble himself, to listen. The question I want to ask us is, do we listen? Do we listen to God? And do we listen to the people that God puts in our lives, even if we don't think they're worthy of our attention? Do we receive comments on our faults from others? Do we receive it? Do we listen? Or is that, who on earth are you to tell me what to do? Do we listen? Are we so darn proud that we just don't listen? Because we're okay. Are we listening? Are we humbling ourselves and listening? You with me? You're right. Number four, do you expect God to break through? And just before I preached, Nolene came and said she feels there is a faith for healing today. Do you expect God to miraculously heal you? All Naaman did was dip seven times and the leprosy was gone. Do you expect miracles? Do you? We've got to have an expectation. We'll have time of ministry for that. And then lastly, we sang a song today. I can't think which one it was that really made me. Nalish, you'll have to help me when you hear what the message is. Are we taking the gospel into the hurting world? Shine your light. Are we taking the gospel into the hurting world? And I need to explain this one a bit. Naaman's mentioned, and Jesus mentions Naaman in the... In the Gospels, did you know that? Remember, in this, in the chapter, Luke chapter four, write it down. You can go read the whole chapter. Please do. In chapter four of Luke, Luke takes us through Jesus's temptation. Then he goes straight to his hometown, and he does that in powerful place where he reads Isaiah. I've come to set the captives free. That one. 
And he says today, in this time, in this place, this world, this word has been fulfilled. I'm he. I'm the one who's come to set the captives free. And everyone's quite chuffed, you know. Oh, this is Jesus, and he's from my town, and yo, 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 you know, we are the main mana. Where's this Jesus? This is our Jesus. Then he starts to say something that makes them really cross. He first speaks about Elijah, and he says, There were many widows in Elijah's time, but Elijah went out of Israel to a widow in, of Zarephath. Then he says this in verse 27, chapter 4, Luke, verse 27. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, guys, this Christianity, are you sitting here, nice little holy huddle, get fed on Sunday, Monday to Friday, well, you know, it's all about me. I'm not telling anyone about the gospel. Gosh, don't you know, lady? I'm shy. Oh, I can't do that. They might reject me. We're like a little holy huddle. Let's keep it for ourselves because this is ours. And you, 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 Jesus is for me. Praise Lord. Hallelujah. Don't expect me to tell a hurting world that they need Jesus. That is what Jesus is saying. And he's using Naaman, the cleansing of Naaman, to show it. We Are we going to the ugly, the dirty, the smelly, the person who's going to say, you are such an idiot, do you even have a brain that you believe in Jesus? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to build relationships with people? I'm not expecting us to go out and Bible bash people, but are we living such a life that people are saying, hello, what's different about you? What's different about you? Why are you so joyful? Why? Oh, yeah, no, just because, you know what, I had, oh, it's just last weekend. No. I have someone living in me who makes all the difference in me. Are we doing that? And if I paraphrase the beginning of Luke 4, does our proclamation of good news reach the poor? Does my proclamation of good news reach the poor? Do I bring liberty through the gospel to captives? Recovery of sight to the blind. Is the gospel I believe in, is the gospel I believe in setting free those who are downtrodden? Am I presenting the year of the Lord's favor to those who live under clouds of disdain? We have the good news. Are we sharing it? And those are my five points. How's the butt in your life? What are you doing with it? Do you know Jesus? Are we listening and humbling ourselves? Are we expectant for miracles? And are we sharing the good news out there? And the wonderful thing is we're now going to break bread. And I want, I'd love us to look at those five as we break bread. And 
let the Holy Spirit convict. Don't be condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The way we should react to this is, praise God, you're changing me. Praise God, you've got so much more for me. Praise God, I'm not doing this on my own because I cannot do it on my own. I need you, Holy Spirit. You have done everything. He said on the cross, it is finished. So there's a rejoicing that he wants to convict us. He wants to change us. He wants us to move on. Hallelujah. So if someone can move the tables forward, Malise, if you perhaps can give us. Jesus said, why do we do this? Because Jesus said, whenever you can, whenever you can, remember me. Remember me. This Jesus who made it possible for us to do all the stuff we've spoken about today by his Holy Spirit. And when he was, the night before he died, he took the bread from the table and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he broke it and he gave it to his disciples to eat. He said, remember. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. <laughs> poured out for you. You know, if there was no one else in this world, he would have done it for you. Do you know when Satan says, yeah, yeah, look at you. You're full of pride. You know what I can say to Satan? Yeah, you're right. I am. But guess what? God does not hold it against me because Jesus died on the cross and he took all my sin. And I can stand before Jesus righteous. How how incredible is that? I come forward, take the, take the bread, take the drink. It's juice. And I, I encourage you to do it on your own. And allow God to say what he needs to say to you. So the message is you go get it, you go and you sit down. I'll give us some time to do that. And then we'll finish the meeting. We'll close off in prayer. Savior, come to the table via me. There's nothing special about me, but I'd love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.